Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. The question and answer session with Mitch is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give Josh a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. After three weekends off, Vanderbilt scheduled to resume its football season this weekend against Ole Miss. That game in Nashville, kickoff time, 3 Central. That game will be shown on the SEC Network. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic. Mitch, of course, a college football editor there. Mitch, appreciate you joining us on what is getting to be an increasingly interesting college football season. Thanks for coming on today. Uh, no problem, Chris. Good talking to you. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been very uh, interesting. Obviously, SEC and then with the Big Ten opening up last weekend. Um, some crazy games, actually just not too many crazy games. The Indiana Penn state game was crazy. Uh, it was kind of a letdown the night after some great games midday, the, the night games weren't too exciting, but, uh, yeah, it, it I'm going to not, not going to say it feels normal. Chris, it feels almost normal. Um, I watched my nephew open up the season. Wyoming went to Nevada and lost in overtime. So I watched the end of that game. I was wondering. I didn't know if he was still playing. I was thinking about that. I didn't know if he's still there. He seems like he's one of those seventh year seniors. Yeah, well, he's a fifth-year senior and maybe going to be a sixth-year senior next year. He starts, he caught one ball on the drive that tied the game. I mean, they were dead in the water 
Uh, and then they opened up the offense in the fourth quarter, and lo and behold, they got, I think, 21 points in the quarter, or maybe that encompassed late third. But he actually got taken out of the game. He was the recipient uh, on the wrong end of a targeting call. In other words, the DB hit him uh, and laid him out, and his whole body just went backwards. And uh, we're sitting there watching the game. My wife is in tears. Fortunately, he popped up and was back in the game later. But a little bit of a scary moment for us. Yeah, I can imagine just watching on TV. Wow, that's crazy. But uh, no, good to see he's uh, back. he's okay and still playing. That's pretty cool. Well, what'll be crazy is next week, and I think Wyoming has got Colorado State. And of course, my niece plays basketball at Colorado State. And Aiden is a receiver, starting receiver at Wyoming. Well, my niece is dating Colorado State star player. <laughs> so they're getting, that family's getting hit up for media this week. It'll be pretty interesting to see how that goes. That's funny. I guess all these athletes are on the other side of the family, though. They are. They they are definitely not on our side. Yeah. But uh, it, yet it was funny. I, I know that my niece, my uh, my in laws had a watch party this weekend with some player parents in Wyoming, and and my my niece wanted to come and bring her boyfriend, and I think he was allowed, but it was under the condition that he had to root for Wyoming. So that was a very interesting dynamic on how that played out. That's that's funny. That's uh, always good stuff there. Well, and those are arch rivals, too. That's like Colorado State is Wyoming's version of Vanderbilt's Tennessee, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, no, I, um, I, In fact, I, I didn't know a ton about it, and some people I used to work with at Athlon uh, out of Denver, uh, they were Colorado State grads. And if you, you look on a map, Fort Collins is not far from Laramie. It's just right over the right over the border there. So, yeah, they're very close, and, and, and I, I do know that's a heated rivalry. It is, and I guess there's sort of a Vandy connection here, too, because Colorado State was scheduled to play here this year, um, and that's been a weird situation. Steve Adazio has come under fire for some off-field things and maybe some on-field things, too, so that's a really interesting situation developing out in Fort Collins. I don't know if he'll last past this year. Yeah, that was that was a weird hire, um, and I don't know the connection. There's some sort of urban – Meyer connection where the AD and you know Urban Meyer he's one of these if he's one of your guys he's the best ever like he's just Mr. Hyperbole and and basically recommended Steve Adazio for the job uh, at Colorado State Adazio did fine at BC I mean he wasn't great he got fired I think they went like six and or seven and five or six and six like four or five straight years but he's not the most inspiring hire if you're going to start fresh um you don't really hire a guy that went 500 every year at a Power 5 conference. It's not very exciting. Let's talk SEC. Only four games over the weekend. What caught your eye? Um, Alabama's dominance, continued dominance. Um, I thought LSU bounced back nicely. Uh, the freshman quarterback looked good. They look like they have their swagger back a little bit. Still some defensive issues there, actually. Uh, I was working on something with our South Carolina writer. South Carolina averaged eight yards per play, uh, which is very high. They, they had some big plays there. They just they had some untimely, they had a huge pick six against them, and then they gave up a special teams touchdown. That game actually could have been a lot closer if South Carolina would have made you know would have tightened up a little bit there. Um, so you know I'm not saying LSU is ready to make to, to be a top ten team again, but they looked a little bit better at least. Didn't really watch much of the Kentucky. Missouri game that was probably a wise decision of following it, but it looked kind of boring. And the look at the box score, Kentucky's offensive struggles really continue. I wonder if they'll make a full time move to Gatewood there. I know Joey Gatewood played some, but they're really 
struggling offensively um, to, to move the ball. And then I guess, am I missing one other game? The Auburn Ole Miss game, I watched a decent amount of that game and uh, just kind of kind of back and forth game. Um, I don't think nothing really surprising out of that game. Auburn benefited from another questionable call there. So I, I know the Auburn fans are probably on the defensive with everyone getting pissed at them for uh, those two close calls in the last two games. You didn't hit Alabama-Tennessee, or not for long at least. And What in the world do you make of the situation in Knoxville? Because that has really gone back and forth a few times with Jeremy Pruitt, and it's starting to feel a little Butch Jones-ish up there. It is. Uh, the thing that would concern me for Tennessee, and this was the concern for Pruitt after his first season, is the amount of lopsided losses. And I mean, there's that's been well documented. I don't have the number in front of me, but um, it it's something like in their last X amount of lot, 30 losses, they've lost X amount to top 10 teams and the margin of victory is like 31 points or something. So they're not even being competitive. When Tennessee looks bad, they look really bad. And that's kind of on the coaches. And there's been a lot of coaching turnover. He's not supposedly the easiest guy to work for. And that's fine when you're winning big, but it's not fine when you're not winning big. And um, people can put up with SOBs as the coach. And I'm not saying he is, but people can do that if you win and they don't do it if you don't win. So, uh, you know, we know how it works, especially with a fan base that's rabbit is Tennessee is they're all in until they're not all in and he's losing losing people quickly uh the manner I know that the the margin of victories were both lot big but the the kind of the manner of the Kentucky game was different than the Alabama game the Alabama game if they if they'd beaten Kentucky I think Tennessee fans could live with the Alabama game they know Alabama's a lot better but just on the heels of that Alabama game on the Kentucky game where they just got pushed around and manhandled the line to lose so decisively to Alabama just doesn't sit well. So, you know, it's, it's times aren't great there. We'll see what happens. I think it's up to him how he handles it. Butch Butch, uh, Jones just kind of did not handle the situation. Well, when things started to crumble, he, he, you know, at least Jeremy Pruitt seems to be honest. Maybe sometimes he's too honest about his team and about his staff. Butch Jones seemed like he just tried to, you know, he had a PR firm and he was, you know, that's when he got into his, it was later in his tenure, I guess, but champions of life and all that stuff. And just tried to go up there on the uh, press conferences and, and get some, his PR points across rather than tell it like it is. So I think that's one area where Pruitt has an advantage that he's not trying to BS anybody. The Missouri Kentucky box score is one of the craziest ones I have ever seen. Okay. Missouri wins 20 to 10, but it is astonishing that it was that close. Okay, first downs, Missouri 26 to 8. Total yards, Missouri 421 to 146. Total plays, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Missouri has 92 yeah. snaps and Kentucky has 36. Amazing. Time of possession 4310 to 1650. Mitch, I know you see a lot of odd box scores, but I'm guessing that is one of the all-time take the cake ones. Yeah, I don't recall, and I, I, I don't do it as closely. I look at all SEC box scores. When I was at Athlon, I was doing that national podcast with, with Braden Gall. I looked at box scores for every game. Uh, I have not been doing that this year, but I pay what I pay close attention, and I don't remember a team having as few offensive snaps. Now, I didn't see that over the weekend, people tweeting it out, and The Athletic does a, a story every week about 
you know, uh, odd statistics and stuff. That's probably not a record because I think we would have seen it. But that is that is a, a an unbelievably low amount of offensive snaps in the game. What do you make of Ole Miss coming into the Vandy game? Another near miss for the Rebels. Of course, that team scores a good bit of points but can't stop anybody much. How do you see this matchup? Yeah, for all of the uh, fanfare or whatever attention that program has gotten this year, and deservedly so, they've been a really fun team. They're one and four, right? And they are very close to being 0 and 5. The Kentucky game, they kind of pulled one out there. They played good teams, but defensively, they are. Uh, historically bad they they, they're giving up 7.4 points per game per per play and i just before we got on the air i went real quick i only have data on cfb stats in the last like 11 years that that would be the worst in the sec over that stretch um so that's obviously their issue now vanderbilt's not much better 7.25 so with a week, you know, I you you probably you might know more than me i don't know you know how healthy vanderbilt's going to be you'd like to think with two weeks off and maybe being a little healthier, this would be a chance for Vanderbilt to kind of get some things done offensively. We know that the, we've talked about this. The numbers aren't great, but I think the ground game has been better than I thought at Vanderbilt. The, the yards per play by the tailbacks, you know, when you remove sacks and all that stuff has been pretty good. So you'd like to think they can kind of kind of run the ball in that game. Uh, now, can they stop Ole Miss? They, they have not done a very good job of that in recent years. Now, this is a, a total offense. I mean, totally different offense. John Rice Plumley kind of lit him up last year. The, the, the game last year was interesting, and I'd, I'd want to go back and look at it from a, an efficiency place. You know, if you look at, like, some of the advanced stats, like Bill Connolly stuff, how often you win a play. Um, I thought Vanderbilt actually did a decent job last year. They, they won a lot of plays in that Ole Miss game defensively. They stopped them for no gain or one or two yards. They just – it was the big play. It was no gain, two yards, three yards, four yards, 80 yards, which obviously all the yards count. It wasn't a kind of a where they just were methodically moving up and or at least didn't feel like it where they were methodically moving up and down. It was just the big plays. And that's when, you know, Ole Miss got its athletes in space and very missed tackles and stuff. And that's what Ole Miss has been doing a lot of this year, despite the, even though there's a new play caller. So obviously it's going to be a, a tough game for the Vanderbilt defense. So just kind of interest, interested to see how Vanderbilt bounces back offensively. Okay, Vanderbilt has got seven games remaining on the schedule. Uh, those games would be in order. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri. I want to go rank hardest game to win to easiest. I think we can safely say Georgia and Florida at the top, right? Eliminate yeah, those two. Pull, let me pull up the schedule here. Um. Yeah, I would. Yeah, obviously, Georgia and Florida are, you know, almost sure defeat. You would say at this point. So next toughest game at this point would that be Missouri? Interesting. If that's the case, you know, obviously Missouri's good. They lit up Georgia. I mean, they lit up LSU. But um, it depends how Tennessee's playing. I think Tennessee's a a better team and obviously they beat Missouri. I, I I'd still say Tennessee would be a more difficult game for Vanderbilt than Missouri. I think Tennessee's just more explosive offensively. Uh, maybe not. I don't Well, Tennessee, Kentucky's in there too. I mean, yeah. you're in this bizarre Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky triangle where each right. team has had a really weird season and two weeks from now, we could be having a totally different conversation. Right. right. I think Tennessee at its best is better than those teams, but they haven't been at its best. I mean, this might be, 
totally wrong. I, I just think Kentucky, Vanderbilt's going to have a tough time scoring Kentucky, but and Kentucky might maul them at the line of scrimmage, so I might be completely wrong here. I just, when Vanderbilt's struggling offensively, I just think they have the best chance against another team that's struggling offensively. Like, can they win an ugly, you know, 17-14 game? I think if that's the way they're going to win, have to win, I think they have the best chance of doing that against Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, another way to put it is, in a game where there's not a lot of points and it's a slow-paced game, the variance of winning is higher. And I still think Kentucky's a lot better than Vandy. Yes. But I, I think Vanderbilt's a lot more likely to win a 17-14 to 14 type game, uh, which is more likely to be that in the case of Kentucky uh, than a game where you need 40 or 50 points to win, which might be the case against Ole Miss. Yes, I would agree. Like, I think Ole Miss – even though Ole Miss is one and four, I, I put that in the you know the the lower end of probability of winning a game just because I, based on what we've seen so far, Vanderbilt's ability to stop Ole Miss you know, is they, they have to turn the ball over. But hey, that's what that's what Arkansas did. Arkansas turned them over six interceptions. Um, so that's something you don't really account for when you're going into a game as not you know, we're projecting games. You never really think someone's going to turn the ball over four, five, six times, and that affects everything. I mean, that's how that's how Arkansas's kind of hung in some games. Their offense hasn't been great, but they've been keeping people out of the end zone because they've been forcing turnovers. So, best three chances for a win for Vanderbilt in order would be your take: uh, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Missouri. Okay, now, interestingly enough, all three of those are on the road. It doesn't make a lot of difference, but I guess the difference is, well, I wouldn't say neutral field. The other team's got to travel, so I think that does yeah. factor in to some degree uh, versus, uh, I hate to say, yeah, hostile environment. I mean, it's just a weird year, right? It's a weird year. In historical, I mean, at least in the past five or six years, Vanderbilt has played fine on the road. Like, there hasn't been much of a difference, in my opinion, uh, home road. Um I think some of the guys, because, you know, they like playing the big stadium stuff, have actually played better on the road. Um, but, yeah, just from a – I didn't really factor in home road when I was looking at it because this year, like you said, it doesn't matter as much. You know, there there has been some – some you, you, you can notice the crowd at some of these SEC games. It's obviously not what it normally is. Um, I'd almost rather play Mississippi State if you're Vanderbilt later in the year, even because – Mike Leach, when things don't go well for Mike Leach's team, sometimes they really don't go well, and there could be some, you know, uh, some chemistry issues on that team. Not saying that there aren't now or there would be more later, but, you know, that, that just looks like one that could keep going in the wrong direction in year one under Mike Leach. Let's talk SEC basketball for a minute, and I bring that up because there was a prediction thread on our site today is the polls and things, I guess the coaches' rankings or, or forecasts or whatever will be out soon. Uh, the magazines have hit the newsstands. Lindy's has Vanderbilt last. Blue Ribbon has Vanderbilt last. I think Athlon made the decision not to publish this year. Uh, have you guys done a poll at the Athletic yet? Uh, no, I'm not part of the you know I'm not the college basketball team. I'm not on the college basketball team. I think they'll be the they definitely will be doing some predictions, conference prediction stuff, but they have not yet. Um, so at, at Athlon, if if they did publish, I think Vanderbilt was going to be picked last. I mean, that, that's the easy place to pick them. Last last year, and they lose, you know, their best – I'm not even going to call Neesmith on the team because he wasn't on the team in the SEC season, but, the, you know, lose your best player in Saban Lee. 
but I, I'm intrigued. I mean, I think there's teams. I think I don't think Georgia's necessarily all that great, and Mississippi State. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Vanderbilt overachieved this year and um, you know finished in, in that 10-11 range. Or you know, just there's a lot of unknowns about this team. Um, so, but I totally understand why why they are picked at the bottom by most outlets. Yeah, if they don't finish at the bottom. Um, I think it's going to be probably Georgia, maybe Mississippi State. Missouri would be in that conversation, but Missouri brings back a lot of players. Uh, so there's that. It just a, I think that's the most experienced team in the league. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like last is one of those three teams, probably. Yeah, I never love South Carolina's talent, and I always feel like I'm right early in the season when they lose some games they shouldn't lose. And then they always, they, at least in the last two or three, four years, they've overachieved in SEC. I think Frank Martin has only made the, SEC, the NCAA tournament one time at South Carolina, and that was when they went the uh, went to the Final Four. But again, they they always seem to overachieve. So, um, you know, it, we've talked about this in the past, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see more if when the season starts. We don't know when that's, you know, going to be yet. But there's uh, there's... Some guys on this team, if uh, we talked about the end of the last year, if they take that one year jump, you know, Scotty Pippen and, and Dylan just that one year jump, and, and, and DJ Harvey's as good as they think he is, this team definitely has some talent. Yeah. And Mississippi State is another interesting situation because that is not going the way I think folks thought it would when State made the coaching change. I can't remember the last time. They've been to the NCAA tournament, might not have gone last year, and now sort of a rebuild. So Ben Howland's in an interesting situation in Starkville too, Mitch. Yeah, uh, I'm with you too. I thought – and they've, they've gotten talent there. They've signed good classes. They've signed their share of top 75 guys. I don't have it in front of me, but they've just – and it's, it's – I can't figure it out because like at Pitt, especially early in his career, his team's kind of overachieved. At UCLA, they had great talent. They still, despite him – his reputation, they were still pretty good there. I think they were, they made like five sweet 16s in six years or something like that. So uh, I'm surprised it hasn't worked out, but there just seems to be something missing. There's not much enthusiasm for basketball. Uh, women's basketball has kind of overtaken the men's pro- uh, program. It's like kind of the, the number one from fan support there. So that that's, a, that's something to watch this year too. I don't know what his contract situation or anything is, but uh, it clearly has not gone as well as they had hoped. For Vandy, what's your expectation for this year? You know, I there's just so many unknowns. I just don't know enough about this roster. I, I feel like I usually part of it's the off season. In the years past, I might have gone to some preseason practices, and at this point, obviously, I, I would know more. I just, uh, you know, are they playing 20 games this year in the SEC? We don't know. There might be, right? I haven't um, seen it announced. Okay, so if it's, if it's 18, I, I think six and 12 is progress. Um, you know, where it's in that five, six, seven range, but I, I really don't know the league's going to be good. Uh, league's going to be a lot of young teams. Um, when in the past under normal situations, you get a lot of young teams, uh, playing on the road, you got a chance to beat them there, but if there's not many fans, then that's kind of off the, you know, off the table. So I, I don't mean to cop, have a cop out here. I just don't really know what to expect. Well, the other issue too, is they have played, They play basically Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida twice a year every year. Almost every year. So, I mean, throw LSU in there, that's 
the top four teams in the league, and that kind of hurts you out of the gate if that's the way the schedule goes again this year. Yeah, when you're when you're a good competitive program hoping to play in the NCAA, that's good because you want more quality win opportunities, and the committee is you know they're they're, they're savvy enough to separate a Vanderbilt's 18 game SEC schedule from an I'm just picking another team, but I don't know who they play, but Ole Miss who doesn't play Kentucky and Tennessee twice, they can they look at the overall body of work. When you're when you're trying to just kind of build a program and pick up wins, that's not the most advantageous schedule. Yeah, and the other issue is they're still waiting on a ruling on Isaac McBride. I think that is related to the academic transfer portion of it in that he left Kansas, I think, mid-semester. I don't know if he was able to pick up some credits somewhere else coming in. There was talk that he was going to go to community college in the spring um, and try to pick up some credits coming into Vandy. But that, from what I hear, and I haven't heard a ton about it, that seems to be the holdup. That would be one of those decisions that might mean the difference between a win or two in conference or not, depending on whether he's eligible and how that plays out. And, and right yep. now, he's not been cleared where so many other players are being cleared. Uh, so, you know, that that's – there seems to be some pessimism warranted on that, perhaps. Yeah, I don't pretend to know anything about the situation other than what you said. Like, I've heard similar things. But in this climate, I think Vanderbilt would have a right to be really pissed if he's not cleared because everyone's getting. Like, a Kentucky, a SAR, you know – getting cleared for one year, basically going against the SEC rules that you have to have two years of eligibility when you transfer unless you're a grad transfer and he's not a grad transfer. Really, there's no circumstances to do with COVID or anything. Why he transferred, he just wanted to go to Kentucky. Um, and I know there are a lot of staffs around the league that are kind of pissed that he's eligible. Um, I, again, if there's some sort of academic, there's a rule, whatever, but in this climate, I, I think Vanderbilt would have a right you know, especially since McBride last year. I mean, I know there's sit out rules and all that stuff, but like it's not like he played at Kansas and is playing now. You've got guys who literally played basketball for another school, transferred, and are eligible. So uh, I'll be interested to see how this one shakes out. Mitch, anything worth covering in the SEC or maybe the college football landscape that we didn't get to in the podcast today? Um, not really. Nothing specific to this uh, talk. Um, you know, I watched, uh, like I said, Ohio State play. I'm, I work with our Ohio State writer, and I just as I've gotten to know even more and more about that program, I realize how good they are, and as every bit as good as Alabama and Clemson, and 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 uh, with from an overall talent standpoint, just it's absurd. Some of these working with our recruiting writer too, it's absurd how talented some of these top five, six programs are in college football. You know, it's it's it's. It's amazing sometimes that some of these teams lose a game. That's that's my thought after uh, watching some of these teams play and looking at their rosters. Give me your college football playoff picks and your winner. Ooh, uh, I'm going to be really boring. I, I mean, I think Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are not locks. It's obviously too early to say that. Uh, Penn State was a dark horse I liked before the season, but obviously losing to Indiana does not help that. Uh I can't see a Big 12 team. Oregon lost. Oregon got killed in the opt-out. They had a lot of guys opt-out. I am going to... Okay, I'm going to be bold here. I'll say 
I say Florida upsets Georgia and somehow Florida gets in, even though they've got defensive issues of their own. I didn't want to be so boring and pick Georgia. All right. And who wins the whole thing? Uh, I'm going to go Ohio State. Wow. Over Clemson and Alabama. Well, they did look pretty good against Nebraska this weekend in the little part that I saw. Justin Fields just couldn't miss. He's incredible. I watched the entire game, every snap. He's incredible. Now, they, they weren't great on defense. Uh, Nebraska moved the ball some. There's I had some as a neutral observer on some some questionable officiating, some drives. Penn State, I mean Ohio State got some fortuitous calls to keep some drives alive, but uh, they, they're they're stacked um, uh, on both sides of the ball. Does Alabama losing Jalen Waddle affect your predictions at all? I mean, would you have had Alabama say if he's healthy and for the rest of the year? Uh, I don't know. You know, I didn't put a ton of thought into it. Um, that hurts, though. The, the one thing in college football that I've really noticed in the past few years is and what separates Alabama and Clemson's had great wide receivers and Ohio State has great wide receivers. Quarterback are great. Offensive line is great. But the teams that have the three and four wide receivers that are almost uncoverable are the teams that score all the points. Very few college football teams have enough good cornerbacks or just the way the rules are constructed. It's It's – it's very difficult to stop teams that just have these elite wide receivers. And Alabama's had them, and they still do, but losing Waddle no doubt hurts. Um, but that's, to me, that's a, a big separator in, in college football. Like, that's the position where you need the elite players. Okay, last question asking for a friend here. Where's this headed at Nebraska with Scott Frost? Because I think everybody felt they'd be further along. Now, Ohio State is one of those tests that – can really distort things. And, and so we have to account for that. But what's your gut feeling on where that's headed? Uh, I'm I'm a Scott Frost guy. I, again, I watched the game. I thought they looked better. I think they've got – I thought McCaffrey actually looked good at quarterback. I think Martinez is okay. Uh, it, it, Wisconsin, I guess, is going to be that grand march now for COVID for three weeks. That kind of helps Nebraska. Um Big Ten West seems to be getting better, but I still think Scott Frost is the right guy. Now, the right guy, Nebraska, and this is a whole other discussion for, for another podcast, is what are the expectations in Nebraska? that they, they, they shouldn't be what they were 15, 20, 30 years ago. But I think he is a guy that can win them Big Ten titles. Like I, I don't say this very often because it's not really – you might want to like, say it at Greg Schiano at Rutgers, but like, if not Scott Frost at Nebraska, then who? And ah, great point. Yeah, that's kind of like I again, I don't say that in a lot of places, but just he's a Nebraska guy. He's proven head coach at UCF. He's a it just he touches. I mean, he hits all the right checks, all the right boxes. You know, what are you going to do? Fire him and go hire some offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian? No. Um, so I, I would be shocked if I'd be shocked if he's not their coach in five years, one way or the other. Mitch, appreciate your time today. Wanted to give you the floor to promote your Twitter handle and anything coming up at the Athletic of interest to our listeners. Well, at Athlon, I don't know. I, I didn't say that the last couple of times. It's not Athlon Mitch. It's at Mitch Light. Um, and just continued college football coverage. Um, nothing, no, no, no big projects coming up, but just, uh, you know, basically cover, cover the college football beat. And if you – Titans, you basically cover every pro team on a beat, too. So uh, I, I like to say there's more, there's too much stuff to read on the athletic every day. That's the truth. Mitch, thanks for joining us, and we will catch you again next week.
All right, Chris, sounds good. He is Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll have an episode or two coming later this week.